Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Some of you, it's going to feel like it was just yesterday, but that song was released 60 years ago. 60 years ago. That's right. You heard me. 60 years ago. 1964 released. For those of you who are younger, that is the Righteous Brothers. They sang that before Top Gun. Um, just, Just trying to give you a little bit of context. And uh, sung by uh, two guys, the two guys made up the Righteous Brothers, you saw them up on the screen. Uh, Bill Medley was the uh, baritone, Bob Hatfield sang the higher parts, and that song really became uh, the greatest song that they ever, they ever really recorded. I mean, they did a lot of other great songs, but that's kind of the one they are really known for. And uh, Phil Spector actually is uh, one of the co-writers of that song with two other people that he hired to, to write the song. But the song originally wasn't one that, the, that Bill or Bobby really wanted to do. They, they, that wasn't really within what they considered to be their normal genre. Uh, in fact, uh, Bobby was actually particularly annoyed because if you didn't notice at the very beginning of that song, if you didn't notice it, Bill actually has a pretty extended solo. And that's just not the way that the Righteous Brothers had rolled up to that point. They'd always sung together. And uh, so Bobby was pretty frustrated. And he said to Phil Spector, I, don't, I mean, what, what, am I, what am I supposed to do while he's singing that? What am I supposed to do there? And as legend has it, Spector replied, you can go to the bank. <laughs> because Phil knew a hit when he heard one. And he knew that that one was going to take them all the way to the bank. And in fact, it did. Um, it has been on the charts more times than you might imagine. Uh, it resurged, like I said, after Top Gun. Um, it makes resurgences every now and then again. And, uh, and it actually, in 2004, Rolling Stone ranked it as the 34th greatest song of all time. You can't argue with Rolling Stone. <laughs> all right. Just making sure you know that. And just as your little bonus clue, just because I like to throw these things in here, has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but just because it's fun. Do you know that there was another famous person actually singing that song with the Righteous Brothers? I should say they became famous. They were in the backup group, the backup vocals, a young Cher. Young Cher actually sang back. Yeah, 
All those, yeah, you're welcome. I did that just for you. And for those of you who do not know who Cher was, that's the people who didn't go, oh, so just, anyway. So we, uh, we appreciate your youngness. You know, I think the reason why this tune has kind of stuck around for 60 years is because it's really relatable. Right? Is there anybody in here who hasn't been on one end of that song? You know what I mean by that, right? Either the person like, hey, love me again, please, or the person that's like, I just don't have that loving feeling no more. I just don't. And we generally, you know, it's, by the way, for those of you who need to be reminded, it's a big week, right? Big game tomorrow. But let's not overlook the fact that only a few days later is Valentine's Day, okay? So this sermon is a little help for some of you out there, because I'm reminding you, and you don't have an excuse now, Valentine's Day is coming up quick, be prepared, just saying. But I think the reason why this song is so endured is because it's so relatable. It's not just relatable to people who are in love, it's relatable to people who just want to be liked. I mean, you could go back to middle school, right, and understand that song. Hey, man, why don't you like me? Hey, uh, hey, why do I have to like you? Why is that? So the thing about it is that each one of us gets that song. We get it. We get it. But as Christians, we know that we have to love everybody, right? So what happens when we lose that love and feeling? We're kind of in trouble, right? Kind of in trouble. So as we explore the theme of connections this year, I really want us to delve into some of the things that can help us create connection in places that it's difficult. Because if you've ever lost that love and feeling, it will seem like you're not going to get it back. Well, that person's done too much. There's just too much water underneath this bridge. How can I get that love and feeling back? And if you're on the other end of that song, you're desperate. Please let them love me again. Please bring it back. So how do we create connection across a lack of love and feeling? The technical term that we're using today. How can we do that? That's the subject that I want to talk to you about today. I think that it probably is worthwhile talking a little bit about feelings before we go much further. Because we're talking about losing a feeling. So let's talk a little bit about feelings. And if, if I'm going to be honest with you, I do a lot better with metaphors. Metaphors help me understand things. So I was thinking about this. I thought, what would be a metaphor for feelings or emotions? And I thought about it, and this is what I came up with. I think feelings are like the weather. I think they're like the weather. Maybe you can think of a couple ways that may be true, but let me go ahead and tell you why I thought that's true. And you're, feel free after the sermon to add 
to my list. You're more than welcome to do that. I'm sure this, there's a lot of things, but here. Feelings are caused by things we usually don't understand. What do I mean by that? Well, if you asked me why there was a hurricane that hit Florida, I'd say because something formed down in the Gulf. And if you said why, I'd say something about tropical depressions. I don't know. I'm not sure. The barometer fell. Why did the I don't know. There's just a hurricane coming, all right? Even the rain. Why is it raining today? Why didn't it rain yesterday? I don't know. I don't give much thought to it. It's just happening. And for a lot of us, when it comes to feelings, feelings are like the weather for us. We know we're having them. We're experiencing them, but we don't really know where they're coming from. We don't know what caused them. We, we, because, like, can I just give you an example? You get cut off in traffic and you, well, you got a whole life, so you guys are good. But, <laughs> but I'm talking about the person that you cut off, right? That, that went ahead and let you know that they thought you were number one. And, um, and, and so that person, that person is thinking, I got angry because that person cut me off in traffic. But is that the real reason that person got angry? My guess is if you get that bent out of shape with somebody that didn't actually hit your car, something else was going wrong before that. Maybe it was something that was happening in your house. Maybe it's years of frustration and bitterness that an unknown stranger is... A, able to let you release for a moment. See what I mean? You can tell me when it comes to your feelings that, well, I think it's because the person cut me off, but usually it's just like me saying, well, there was a depression out in the Gulf. I don't, I don't know why, I don't, I don't, whatever. It was something more than that. And a lot of times when it comes to feelings, we don't even begin to understand what's causing the strong emotions that we feel. In fact, we usually think it's the symptom, not the reality. Another way that I'd like to suggest to you that feelings are like the weather is the weather is neither right nor wrong, although it can be destructive. Can I take a moment and just acknowledge something? In Christianity, we like to say that there are good feelings and bad feelings. In fact, in Christianity, we really only like one feeling, and that feeling is... And I was thinking happiness. So let's go with two. <laughs> Peace and happiness. We only like the feelings that we're supposed to have. Because as a Christian, I should be always at peace because Jesus died for me. And because Jesus died for me, my salvation is secure. There's no reason for me to ever not feel peaceful. There's no reason for me to, if Jesus could die for me, then how is it that I don't feel loving towards this person over here? Man. I better not be honest about that. I better, I better go ahead and pretend like, because often in Christianity, we only want the positive emotions. We don't want to have anything to do with the negative ones. We don't want to say, those are bad. But can I just take a moment and say, is the rain bad? No. Is the snow bad? It is if you're shoveling it. <laughs> but it's very beautiful coming down. Family, we need to start looking at emotions in their true light. They are indications of things that are going on in our life. They are signals to us. 
When the rain comes down, it tells us things are going to be wet. When we're angry, it tells us that there's something in our life that we think is unjust. When we're bitter, it's because we believe that somebody has not been thinking of us as they should. When we're in, I can give a lot of illustrations, right? Think of your own. But what are those emotions there for? Did God just, why did God give us a full range of emotions and why did he give us negative ones as long as, as well as what we call positive ones? Is this just a, a product of sin? Well, maybe in a way. But can I just for a moment say that fear isn't bad? It tells us that we probably shouldn't step off the cliff, right? It tells us that driving at 140 miles an hour down the highway might get us and somebody else killed. Emotions have a place in our life, but what happens is, is when we don't identify them, they can build up in our life to a point where they become explosive and where they do become destructive. Usually, it's because we go back to number one because we don't know why we're experiencing it. It builds up in our life. We ignore it. We try to pretend like we're happy. We try to pretend like we're good when we're not. And it builds up, and then those emotions spill out and become very destructive. The next way that I think that feelings are like the weather is that pretending it is different doesn't change it. If you walk out side and it's snowing in your shorts and no shoes on, you are going to be cold. Yeah, I get that there's like the mind over matter where you can like mentally prepare yourself. How long does that last? Sometimes a little while. If you're particularly mentally tough, maybe a while. But the truth of the matter is that if you go out in the rain, you will get wet. If you go out and it's 120 degrees and you stay out, you will get dehydrated. Pretending that you're not doesn't change that. And pretending that we're not angry and pretending like we do love doesn't change the fact that we are angry and we don't love. It doesn't change it. It masks it, but it doesn't change it. And the old saying, fake it till you make it, sometimes works and a lot of times doesn't. The final thing is that feelings are like the weather in that we should dress accordingly. If it's raining outside, your rain jacket and an umbrella might be a good thing to bring along. If you're really angry, it might be a good idea to not have that important conversation in that moment. If you're sad, that might not be the time to force yourself into a situation where you need to be around people that expect something different than you, from you. Dress accordingly. Dress accordingly. I'm sure there's a lot of other ways that you could look at it. Those, that's what I've got for you there. But I really want to take a little bit of time to talk about feelings because I feel like within Christianity, we've really been taught that good Puritan, I grew up, my, my family comes from, you know, northern stock, you know, the stiff upper lip, that English thing, you know, or like don't, don't show, you know, just, just, you know, toughen up. 
I wonder how, many, how much psychological damage that's done through the years. I wonder, I wonder how much pathology has been passed on because of that. Because pretending it isn't so doesn't change it. It just makes you inauthentic. So as Christians, we do well to start talking about emotions and thinking about emotions so that we can properly deal with our emotions. You know, um, a wonderful author by the name of Jonathan uh, Haidt, um, psychologist, wrote a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. It's written a couple other books. Really enjoy his writing. Um, and in The Happiness Hypothesis, Jonathan actually uses a metaphor, a different metaphor than the one I did. Because he talks about that. Like as Christians, we tend to talk to the rational, right? We're like, get rid of all that feeling stuff. Just do it right up here, right? Logic, stick with the logic, stick with rational. But Jonathan points out that there's a problem with that. And the problem, he points out, is the relationship between an elephant and the rider of the elephant. How many of you would be willing to raise, no, I don't do this, but how many of you would be willing right now to raise your hand and say, I am run by my feelings? No, there's six of you <laughs> that right now are thinking, yeah, that's true but I ain't going to raise my hand. <laughs> I never, because I know that's, that's the wrong answer. But the truth of the matter is that a lot of us don't realize the truth that we're a lot more run by our emotion and our feelings than we give credit to. We all want to be that stone cold, logical person. I make decisions rationally. And most of us, if we actually took the time to do some deep therapy, we'd be surprised at how that logic is really being run by feelings. And Jonathan points that out in this particular book. But it was actually popularized by uh, authors Chip and Dan Heath that took that metaphor, put it into their book, Switch. And Jonathan actually, uh, I was listening to him in an uh, interview that he did, and he said, yeah, I really appreciate these guys. They really took that metaphor and popularized it. It wasn't popular before they came along. So let me let them explain it to you. They're going to explain the metaphor, and they're going to explain how this metaphor helps us understand how to deal with changing our world. Psychologists know that there are two systems in our brains, the rational system and the emotional system. Jonathan Haidt, who's a psychologist at NYU, came up with a great analogy for these two systems. He said, think of your brain as a human rider atop an elephant. The rider represents the rational system. That's the part of us that plans and problem solves. The rider might do some analyzing and decide, hey, I want to go that way. But it's the elephant representing the emotional system that provides the power for the journey. The rider can try to lead the elephant or drag the elephant. But if these two ever disagree, who would you bet on? The elephant has a six-ton weight advantage, and it's exactly that power imbalance that makes adopting new behaviors very hard. If you want this duo to head a new direction, you also need to think about the path, which represents the external environment. 
This duo is more likely to complete a journey if you can shorten the distance and remove any obstacles in their way. So bottom line, if you want to lead change, you've got to do three things. Give direction to the rider, knowledge of how to get to the destination. You've got to motivate the elephant, which means tapping into emotion. And finally, you need to shape the path to allow for easy progress. That's how change happens. So can I just take a moment and acknowledge that this is incredibly simplistic? Okay, I've just taken about a teaspoon out of the ocean of the research that's been done on emotions and how we change our, our, our emotions to help us accomplish things and lead change and that sort of thing. So whole body of work, I encourage you to go read up on it if you haven't. I really enjoyed it. I've done a little bit more than I'm able to share with you in 20 minutes. Um, but the analogy stands. A lot of times we ignore literally the elephant in the room. We ignore the feelings and we think somehow that our logic is going to push those feelings, that six tons, to somewhere that they don't want to go. And I want to suggest to you this is where resentment, bitterness, anger, frustration comes from. Often, when we try to do that, we ignore the feelings and we go, I'm just going to power through it with the rational mind. So some of you are feeling a little uncomfortable now. Can we just acknowledge that? You're like, okay, Ken, but you know, then how do I, I mean, so if, are you trying to tell me that if I feel something that, that that's just okay, that I should, you know, that it's okay to be hateful and bitter and angry? Of course I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that we don't get anywhere by ignoring what we're feeling. And I think that the Bible will bear this out. So let's take a look at 1 John. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. So right there, the Bible spells out to us that we have to love. If you've lost that love and feeling, you got a big problem going on. So right now, a couple of you are feeling very upset. Those of you who are very conscientious are beating yourself up. Oh, I knew it. I knew I was a bad person. Please stop. Please stop. You're not a bad person. The emotions we feel, we feel. The question is, how do we address those emotions? So let's see if John actually clarifies a little bit further. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So love most assuredly is a feeling, but it transcends feelings. It moves, there's more to it. There's choice to it. There's action to it. As that good old DC talk song when I was a kid went, love is a verb, right? We love to use love as a noun, but the truth of the matter is that love in its best form really is a verb. So the question is then, how do I get my actions, my feelings to start aligned with the actions that I want to be taking? Because it's hard to act in a loving way to somebody that you don't feel it for. Because we're human beings and those feelings are a big deal. How do I act on that? Well, let's go ahead and take a look 
a little further. 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Well, okay, now that's a lot. I mean, I don't have a feeling you're saying I need to give up my life for somebody. Jesus is very instructive in this. I want to ask you a question. Do you think that when Jesus went to the cross, he felt like it? Do you think he felt really loving? You think he had that loving feeling? I think he was being loving. I think he chose to be loving. But if you want, I think I have clear biblical proof about what was going on with Jesus. You find it in several of the Gospels. The one I've chosen is Matthew 26. Jesus took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed emotions. Anguished and distressed emotions. By the way, can we just be okay with people coming to church and having anguish and distress in their lives instead of saying, come to church and be happy because you make me uncomfortable when you're not? You know, Jesus really wanted three people to be with him in his emotions of anguish and distress. Come on, Jesus, you know you're going to be raised in three days. Come on already. Why are you going to be anguished and distressed about this? And yet we'll say that to the person whose loved one just passed away. Well, you need to just go ahead and be strong because you know that they died in Christ. You'll see them again someday. Well, yeah, but I'm not seeing them right now. It's okay to be with people in anguish and distress and it's okay for people not to be okay. It's okay for people not to be okay at church. Jesus told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Even Jesus said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. It's not what I feel. It's not what I want. Love kept him there. But you know what also kept him there? Putting his life into God's hands. That's what a few of us in this room need to start doing. Maybe all of us. Saying, not what I want, but what you want, God. I give you permission to change me. To do what you want with me. So what do we learn from Jesus? The first thing is that we can acknowledge our feelings. Jesus acknowledges his feelings. He doesn't say, hey guys, I'm doing pretty good. Just hang out here for a minute. I'll be good in a couple minutes. Just, just give me a few. He, doesn't, he says, I am anguished. I'm he identifies his feelings. Can I take it one step further with you? Can I suggest to you that it is really worth your time to not just identify your feelings, but to dig in deep to figure out why you're feeling that. To move past the surface of I got cut off in traffic to thinking, is it something that's going on in the, the relationships that matter most to me that's creating anger and angst in my life? And is, that, is it actually deeper than even that? Is the anguish and angst that I'm feeling in my relationship that matters most to me something that goes back to a childhood trauma? That's, it's really worth it to unpack these things if we really want to get to the bottom of our feelings and be able to sort them out. And it's messy and it's hard and it doesn't happen in a week or a month. It's like, I've always wanted to, to you know, be really bulked out and, and like a weightlifter, but it just never happens for me because I never go to the gym. 
Or if I do, I quit going. (laughs) Emotional work is no less painful and difficult, and it takes time and it takes effort, but it is worth it because you create a better world, not just for yourself, but for the people that inhabit the world that you're in. The next thing that I want to suggest to you is that we don't put enough time into our prayer life. Jesus, what did he do when he was feeling these things? He went to God and told him about it. You notice that Jesus doesn't apologize. Dear God, I'm so sorry for feeling anguished and in great grief. I'm so sorry. I must be letting you down right now. He just takes it to his father. Can we do the same? This is how I'm feeling, God. Can you be with me in it? Can I... If nobody else is listening, can I know that you are? If I don't feel like you're listening, can I have faith that what, I don't, what I'm feeling isn't true, that you are listening? The final thing that I want to suggest to you when you've lost that love and feeling that Jesus teaches us is that it's about asking God to supersede our will with his. Now, I want to go ahead and put a little bit of an asterisk on this one really quick. Not an asterisk so much on this, but the whole thing. I mentioned earlier that feelings tell us about symptoms that are going on in our life. And sometimes when we feel fear and anger, it is a a warning sign to us that somebody that is in our life that we don't feel love for is hurting us and damaging us and maybe damaging people that we care about. Are you required to love that person? Yes. Are you required to have a close relationship with them? No. No. Do you need to leave the door open for God to change things so that connection can't happen again? I believe you do need to leave that door open. But this is where boundaries become very important. And we start understanding that until somebody's changed and been able to show that they've changed, it's okay to have a boundary that says, I will love you, but the best way for me to love you is to take a step back, to protect myself and those I love from you, and to maybe send a message to you that that what you're doing is creating harm. That's a loving thing to do. So I put the little asterisk on there because we need to ask God's will to supersede our will. But I want you also to know that there are some situations that God is not asking you to go back to, in my opinion. I don't believe that God is asking somebody to be physically abused, to live in that. I believe that what God does do is ask to do the hard work to forgive that person later, to to allow for reconciliation. But I think that God wants us to protect those we love as well as ourselves because when you're being abused, what happens? You start abusing other people. We see it over and over again. When somebody's treating me poorly, I start to treat other people poorly particularly if I stay in that toxic stew for a long time. I want to close with a story. It's my brother, Chris. Um, We're four and a half years apart in age. I'm the older. Um, You can see us at graduation. I'm graduating from high school. Chris is graduating from eighth grade. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I am not the older brother that you would have wanted to grow up with. I wasn't a great older brother. I'm not proud of it. In fact, I really wish I could go back and do it over. But I was a little bit about me. 
because I was four and a half years older and my brother was just never into the things that really interested me because he was four and a half years younger than me. And instead of being mature, <laughs> um, I just was like, whatever, you do your thing. I'll love you, but you, know, you do your thing. I'm gonna do my thing. You kind of annoy me. And that was kind of the relationship that we had growing up. Um, I did some nice things here and there, but again, I wasn't, I wasn't the bigger brother, older brother I would have wanted to have. And um, after uh, college for both of us, um, Chris found himself um, in very, very active drug addiction. And I felt myself losing that love and feeling for my brother completely because he was ruining my life. Period. I like to say that he was being bad to my parents, but the truth of it was he was making me frustrated because my parents were being hurt, but it was really more about me than it was about them. And so I lost that love and feeling for my brother. I did. And the sad part of it was that I never really even thought, I just blamed it on him. I never took any ownership for the way I treated him growing up, whether I was looking out for him, helping him avoid people that might have took him down the path that he went. I never took any ownership of any of that. It was just Chris being an addict, ruining our family. I did this as a pastor, by the way, so that's also special. And so I blamed Chris for, for everything. I didn't take responsibility for anything. It was all him. If he wasn't a drug addict, we wouldn't have this problem. But that wasn't the truth. The truth was I never really dealt into the, to the emotions that I found. I never took a look at what was really going on in my life. And I'm really grateful for the late Tim Keller. I heard him speak. Um, he was talking about his book, The Prodigal God. I'd really struggled with that parable for a long time because I was a good older brother and I totally understood how unfair that story is. Here's that prodigal coming home again. And Tim turned it on its head. He let me take a look at the reality of what was going on in my soul, that my soul is dark and dirty and just as damaged and messed up as whatever was going on in my brother's, if not more. And when I finally was able to see the truth about me, when I was finally able to go ahead and start praying about it and sincerely mean what I was praying and asking God to change my heart, God didn't tell me to take out the boundaries that we'd put in place that protected my kids from my brother if he was on drugs. But what God did tell me is you need to change your attitude towards your brother. And then what was beautiful about it is that God did change my heart when I finally gave him permission to do it. God brought back in a, just a truly miraculous way my love for my brother one evening as we were seen talking about the act of addiction that he was in. And one of the things that I discovered that I had to do for me was it didn't mean that I needed to move Chris into proximity with my kids, but what I did need to do is create space to be with him, to talk to him, to let him know that I was rooting for him, that I cared about him. And today, my brother is one of my very best friends on earth. 
has been there in very significant ways for me. Neither he or I are perfect. We don't love each other perfectly to this day, but that love and feeling is back. Family, I just want to ask you to do do yourself and God a favor. Don't give up on people just because you don't feel that love and feeling. If you're in danger, by all means, take the right steps. But family, if you don't feel it, don't give up. Don't give up. Acknowledge this, what you feel. Be honest about it, but don't give up. And if you pray about it and God doesn't change it right away as God doesn't, by the way, my brother, 10 years of active addiction, so this didn't like change overnight for us, okay? But even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. Did you hear that? God is greater than our feelings. God is greater than our feelings. And God knew once I finally turned it over to him, I've come to a place in my life that once I give something to God, that's on God to make the change at that point. That's God's problem. And I want to take my guilt and put it away because if I don't feel it, I've asked God to to change it if he wants to. So maybe you'll join me this Valentine's Day week and think about somebody that you've lost that love and feeling for And you know that God wants you to have that love and feeling for them. And maybe you can join me and the Righteous Brothers in asking God to do this. Hallelujah. I love that song. Happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month, Pastor Ken. Happy Black History Month to you here and those online. For those of you that missed the concert last week, just says, but also here's my shirt. Happy Black History Month. (laughs) So enjoy the read. (laughs) Listen, we're out of time. Great service. The chat was live. It was going in. So I have to at least tease a question for the podcast. Ooh, I'm a tease too because they're both so good. Okay, one of them was, how does one fix sadness? And then, right. And another one was, can some feelings be learned? And if so, can they be unlearned? Oh, there's, there's so many more. Like, I, there was like five, like really good ones. We're refreshed for time, so. Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Podcast is tune the, in the podcast. So That's, tune yeah. in. Um, Those are really good questions. Yes, I know. And there's some more in the chat too. Yeah, yeah like there was, okay, I'm going to use another one. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes might we think we are, a lo- we are loving a person or a group of people, but what they experience isn't love. Mm. You thought you was loving them, but you're not. So, so. Tara, I'm going to stay right here. I'm supposed to walk over there, but I'm going to stay right here. Okay. So I'm just kind of giving me that cue to the uh, sound and light people so they know that I'm, I'm going to stay right here for okay. a moment. Okay. Do I walk off and No, you I think here? you should stay here. All right, I'm we're just going to close off from right here. Okay. So tune into uh, the uh, podcast this week. Hope you'll do that. And then next week, we're going to continue on with our series, Connecting Across. And next week, we're going to talk about how do you connect with people that are in a so- different socioeconomic mm. place than you. So somebody has more money than you, less than money than you, uh, different social circles. 
how do you go ahead and connect with people that are different in that way? Because that was definitely a barrier oftentimes and certainly was a, a barrier in the Bible and the Bible actually had quite a bit to say about it. So we're gonna explore that one next week. And then finally, I just wanna remind you that this uh, church uh, happens because of you. It happens because you volunteer, because you give your time. It also happens because you financially support us. And so if you're being blessed by the ministry here at Whole Life, and maybe more importantly, if you want others to be blessed by that ministry, both the people who will come inside this building, but also the people that are outside the walls of this building, the people of Orlando that this church strives so hard to reach and to make a difference in their lives, if you want to support that, if you believe in it, we just invite you to look at the different options there. There's the, uh, you can give online, you can give at the little boxes that are at the doors. There's just a lot of different ways that you can give if you believe in that mission, that vision. That's all we ask. If you believe in it, support it. If you don't, we don't need you to, to support something you don't believe in. Right. So thank you so much for believing it. I can tell because we see how blessed this church is with your support Amen. and we appreciate it very much. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for loving us maybe when you didn't feel like it. And I want to thank you for pushing through all the ways we're unfaithful to you and still being faithful to us. And Lord, I know that I'm speaking to at least a dozen people in this room right now, Lord. That they're, they're hurting right now. They feel like you're calling them to love somebody. They just don't know how they can ever begin to do that. Too much hurt, too much pain, too much time. Lord, I know there's some marriages in here where that love and feelings left. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would work. I pray that each person would turn their lives over to you and do the, the hard work of looking at themselves and being honest. Lord, I pray that you would restore the love where it's been lost. Thank you for loving us that way, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, family, I love you. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.